Good morning. If you'll please join me um, in standing for the reading of God's Word. I'm Madison Klein, and this morning's scripture is coming from Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, and the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, choir. That was just amazing. Thank you so very much. Um, it is missions emphasis five weeks, actually. I was going to say a month. We've done it for five weeks to emphasize our missions uh, here at CCC. And today, Grant Olson is going to be our speaker. Before he comes, I want to emphasize something. See that right there? If you haven't seen it yet, please pick it up out there on the right as you exit the doors. It's a list of our missionaries, where they are, what they do, and how you can pray for them. It gives you an overview of what they do. It's also true that if you take a look at that list of missionaries, what you don't see on the surface is this. We have cast a vision for missions that emphasizes four major areas. The first area we emphasize is to minister, sending people to minister in a university or an educational context. So we have missionaries in different parts of the world and here that are doing that very thing. The second category is we send people to minister to the international community in Bloomington. The world is at our doorstep, so the missions committee supports that international ministry. A third category is we send people to minister to people groups or communities that are entrenched, not by their own desire, but entrenched in physical and material poverty. And we have a number of missionaries that fit into that category. I'll mention just two a church that we now support in Gary, Indiana, does this kind of ministry. We also have at least one person, if not more, that supports refugee ministry in other parts of the world, and we've done some of that ourselves right here at the church. The fourth category of missions that we emphasize is to minister to people groups with little or no access to the gospel, namely church planting. I say that because today when Grant speaks to you, he's speaking from that category. 
He's speaking from the category of a missionary that does his best to plant churches in places that have not heard the gospel. So in this book that I referred to, you could take a look later at some of the things that Grant and his wife Deb are involved in. They uh, are missionaries through Crew. You're very familiar with Crew, formerly called Campus Crusade. From 2013 to 2020, they lived in the Baku, at the city of Baku in Azerbaijan, and led church planting teams to establish national-led people that multiply among the Azerbaijani people. That's basically 35 million people. And of those 35 million people, here's the percentage that are Christian. 0.2. So Grant is active in establishing churches in those places. After uh, they return from the United States, they work remotely to support and research, uh, resource the teams of three national families that are shepherding their congregation. In addition to that, Grant has taken on the role of Director of Operations for Global Alliance for Church Multiplication, a network of over 110 church planning organizations collaborating to plant one church for every 1,000 people remaining in unreached places uh, across the globe. Uh, Grant and Deb came to us before I ever arrived which is one of the best things about them. They um, came here as people who just love Jesus, as people who preceded me and bought into the mission of this church. And I love that about our history in this church. There's this unbroken connection to people that go back some 40 years. Um, They came to us in 1992, and we're here till 1995, and now we support them overseas. Deb was not able to be with us this morning because of illness, but Grant is here, and we want to welcome him, give him a warm welcome. Come on up and speak for us, Grant. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, wonderful to be back. Uh, driving here this morning, it dawned on me that Deb and I started coming here 30 years ago. Um, we had just moved to town. And uh, we were looking for a new church, and it was 4th of July. We thought, let's go see the fireworks. We went and sat out at the Seventh-day Adventist church lawn and watched the fireworks near the stadium. And I was sick with the flu. I mean, I was so sick. All I could do is lay on the blanket and moan. And my two daughters, four and three, just kind of ran off because there were some children playing around. And I kind of looked up from my blanket and... What's, what's going on over there? I saw my, my two daughters playing with two little boys and jumping all over those boys' dad. And I thought, wow, am I a deadbeat father or what? Some stranger's got to play with my kids. Well, we got to talking to them and found out they were members here and invited us to come to church. So 30 years in July, we've been part of, uh, or we started coming to uh, then ECC, now CCC. Um, Also, another anniversary is we've been overseas now for 20 years, and this church has been part of 
our work overseas, and, and we've just felt it a privilege to represent you there as we share the gospel uh, now in, in very uh, unreached areas. And so uh, thank you for your support for us, your prayers. Um, we, we definitely feel your partnership. Well, this morning, um, as you heard our scripture reading, um, I want to take and look at missions kind of through a different lens, through the lens of creation. And it's not a typical missionary passage that people speak on, but I think it is a prelude to what is now modern missions, as we see God in his creation designing his plan and including us in that plan. So we're going to look at three things. First thing is that God is glorious, that we would just take a moment and reflect on who God is in his mighty power. Second, that he's a God of relationship. He existed in in eternity, past in relationship with himself, and then he created us to have relationship with him and with each other. And then third, that he has given us a part to play in his kingdom work, which is just an amazing thing to think about it. Why? Because God is all-powerful. He can do it. But yet he loves us, he has relationship with us, and he calls us to work with him and his plan. So um, let's, let's jump in uh, this morning for those three points. The first point being God is glorious. God is glorious, and he's glorious in power. And if you look at Genesis chapter 1, and feel free to open your Bibles and just kind of skim that chapter as we talk uh, about some of those things that we see there. But preceding our reading this morning in chapter 1, we see that God created the universe. And he, not only did he create it, he created it by speaking, by speaking his word into nothingness. And it was formless and void, and then there was the universe. Then um, he made our solar system, our planet, but our planet was formless and void as well. And then he inserted life onto our planet from nothing to all of a sudden it's teeming, teeming with fish, teeming with plants, teeming with animals. We see the five different kingdom of living things. Now we see also uh, in other parts of Scripture, describing his omnipotence. In Psalm 115, he says, our God, it says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Jeremiah 32, Behold, I am the Lord. The God of all flesh is anything too difficult for me. And we see in the New Testament, John chapter 1, In the beginning was the word. It's kind of the parallel to uh, the first chapter of Genesis. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then finally in Hebrews chapter 1, He upholds the universe by the Word of His power. So He's all-powerful. But He's also glorious in His knowledge. He's hyper-aware of all things. In a general sense, I'm sure we would all agree, yes, God is omniscient. He knows all things. But do we really think about what that means? Now, I'm just going to use the example of the human body just to kind of, just to give us a little sliver of God's omniscience. Um, We know that Jesus in Matthew 10 said, God has numbered the hairs 
on all of our heads, on your head. Now, some of you are saying, well, that's, Grant, that's not really a big deal. I know how many hairs I have on my head. Zero. But for the rest of us, that's a pretty big undertaking to understand and know how many hairs are on your head. Uh, pretty incredible. Um, nine days from now, the world population is going to reach 8 billion on November 15th. It's projected. Now, God not only knows how many hairs are on your head, but he knows all the hairs on everyone's head. All 8 billion, or what will be 8 billion. Now, this might be a little bit too much information, but we actually have more hair in our sinus cavity than we do on our head. Okay? Now, I say that because, well, that's a weird piece of trivia, but God knows all those hairs as well. Okay? The average human has for about 40 trillion cells in their body. 40 trillion cells. And I believe God is aware of every one of those cells as well. Not only that, uh, a human cell, a plant cell, is actually a pretty amazing thing. If you, if, if you could step inside of a cell, it, it'd be like a giant factory. There's a ton of things going on. There's a waste disposal system. There's a water purification system. There's this machine that can replicate itself. It's just, I mean, for you, the, of those who are out there are biologists, you know. It's a pretty amazing thing to look at. There are over, well, in, in any one of our cells, there's between three and five billion operations that happen per second. Per second. Pretty amazing. Now, God, the, the reason I'm bringing all this trivia up is that God designed it, he spoke it, and it happened. Pretty amazing. How do we know God can know all this information? Well, in Psalm 147, it says his understanding is infinite. We know what infinite means, right? 1 John 3.20, God knows all things. Psalm 147, he counts the number of stars. He gives names to all of them. Hebrews 4, there is no creature hidden from his sight. And it's, this is my favorite. Isaiah 40, 28. His understanding is inscrutable, which basically means we can't understand his understanding. It's ununderstandable. Okay? But I think you, you see the picture. Now, can we just stop a moment and let that sink in? That here in Genesis 1, we see God creating the universe. We can see God creating life. And then we see him creating us in his image. And in doing so, we see that God is relational. It says in the passage, God said, let us make man in our own image. Let me just stop there a second. Did you hear that? Let, God said, let us make man in our own image. He uses plural forms. In fact, the word for God there is a plural form. It's the only plural form of God in the Semitic language. What's up with that? Why is he being used? Well, anyway, I think we all know as believers that, and being a Trinitarian church, that this is kind of the first glimpse of the Trinity in Scripture. 
But we see this more clearly in other parts of the Bible. Genesis 12, where God appears to Abraham. And he appears to him in the form of what it says in the scriptures, three men. What's kind of interesting is that these three men seem to speak in unison. And then they're addressed as Lord, but in the uh, capital L-O-R-D sense. Um, and we know that when we, every time, anytime we read that in the Old Testament, it's an allusion to God's name, uh, Yahweh, or I am that I am. Um, a number of years ago, I spent summer uh, doing evangelism in Israel. And I had some Jewish believers tell me that this passage in Genesis 12, it, or, I'm sorry, this is it, I'm sorry, it's 18, 18, not 12. Um, they said this passage in Genesis, more rabbis have come to believe in Jesus through this passage than any other passage in the Old Testament. Because they see the Trinitarian God. And then we also see the Trinity in Jesus' baptism. You, you know the story. Uh, John baptizes his cousin Jesus, and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and then the Father speaks. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Wow, you've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in one place. Wouldn't that have been awesome to be there, to, uh, to, to witness that? But also it says in this passage, not only did we, um, not only is God in relationship with himself, but also he made us in his image so that we could have a relationship with him. None of the animals, none of the plants, none of the fish, fish in the sea have that kind of relationship with God. So as such, we are image bearers of God. He made us like him. Uh, now, obviously, God is not a physical being. We know he's spirit. But we also know that we are like him in a number of ways, in moral ways, in character ways, in behavior, in emotion, in other ways. Now, as image bearers, this is an interesting thing, too. If we are created in God's image, then that in and of itself gives us value as human beings. Gives us, but gives all human beings everywhere, every nation, tribe, and tongue. No matter what socioeconomic, what part of the world you're from, what kind of culture you're from, if you're a man, if you're a woman, you have value because you have been created in God's image. <clears throat> now, I, I realize. Um, you know, in that, it's, it's maybe a little bit difficult to relate to someone who, you know, maybe is not from where you're from, uh, maybe not your country, maybe not your same race, um, or I should say ethnos, because we're all of the same race. And I understand that. Um, in, in our last, uh, really the last 20 years as we've been overseas, we've done ministry in over 20 different countries. And it's really difficult to initiate relationship with someone who is so different. Um, but that's just not reserved for being overseas. Um, I lived 12 years, our family lived 12 years here in Bloomington. And um, Bloomington's got different cultures, doesn't it? Um, you've got the Southern Indiana culture, right? You've got the university culture. And if you've seen Breaking Away, 
that movie was about that, that kind of culture clash, right? Um, but you also have a transient culture. You have people coming in and out all the time, and it's hard to, it's hard to make relationships. If, you're, if you know you're only going to be here three years, uh, you know, I don't know how much you want to invest in building relationships if you know you're going to be gone. And so for those of you who have been here for many years, you understand it from the opposite view. But the good thing is is that IU basketball brings us all together, (laughs) right? So I know that much. I've lived here long enough. Okay. So we have dignity because we've been created by God. But not only do we have dignity, but we are deeply loved by our Creator. In Zephaniah 3.17, it says, The Lord your God is in your midst. He's a warrior who saves. He will exalt over you with shouts of joy. So as God thinks of you, as God is mindful of you, he is full of joy. In Romans chapter 8, it says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future or any powers, either height nor depth or any created thing will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we have a tremendous, secure relationship with the loving creator. So, in this context, uh, where we see God's glory and he has put us in a loving relationship with himself. And I, I just think this is just almost as amazing is that God calls us to partner with him in his work. So it says in this passage that, and we saw the words dominion and rule and subdue and other Adjectives of what God wants us to do in his creation. He's made us his stewards of creation. And I still think that's true. He gives us leadership. And he also designed us to be in partnership with one another. And that's a hard thing in our Western culture is we, you know, we're kind of lone rangers. We kind of like to be independent. We've been taught that. We pride ourselves in our culture. But that's very rare globally. Uh, most com- cultures are communal. And they work together very, very well. And it's something we can learn to do better. Um, but we're in partnership with God and each other. But also we know because of sin that God's perfect creation and our perfect relationship with him has been broken. So this required a new act of creation on the part of God. And, and this, I just found this so interesting. As you look in the New Testament, you're going to see a lot the word creation. And, uh, for instance, 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So we're a new creation in Christ. There's something new that's taken place. Ephesians 2. Now, talking about a parallel to uh, the first chapter of Genesis, it says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that he planned beforehand that... We should walk in them. So here we see God's omniscience in that he knew about all our life before we were even born. So, but we've also been given an added job description. In Acts 1.8, it says, You will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that's the whole church. And you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. So we have an added job description is that we are witnesses for the gospel. We're supposed to go. Here, the next country, another country. Um, 
And, and this is probably where you say, oh, oh, a missionary is talking to us and he's going to challenge us to go to Africa. I'm going to make this a real simple point, and that is, um, I think wherever God has put you, that's your mission field. Okay, the, 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 the dirty secret is that uh, a missionary isn't the guy that goes overseas. We are all missionaries. Um, and if you're like me, sometimes you wake up in the morning and you wonder, you know, what am I doing here? What, you know, what am I doing living in Bloomington? What am I doing in this job? I, it just, I feel out of place. I just don't feel like things are connecting. Now, I lived eight years in Budapest, Hungary, and it's the second largest missions hub in the world, next to Chiang Mai, about 2,000 missionaries. And it was funny, as I started meeting a lot of these missionaries, I, I, I realized and noticed that a lot of the men were engineers. In, that's what they studied in college, but now they're on the mission field. And I'm thinking, what is up with that? Now, that's, I studied engineering, didn't end up with engineering, but I'm kind of an engineer in my thinking, and I, I know enough about engineers that we're left-brained. What does that mean? Well, it means we're terrible with names and spelling in general. We're introverted. We're not good at speaking. We're not good at speaking. Um, so why did God call so many of us into a vocation that was essentially not our strengths? Well, I think that's a pattern. Now, we lived in eight years in Azerbaijan. And again, we stuck out like sore thumbs. We're obviously different. People, uh, an Azeri came up to me one day and said, Grant, we don't understand you. Um, you're not living in a mansion and you're not driving an S-class Mercedes-Benz. You're an American. Why aren't you doing that? And so we, were, you know, we had a lot of hurdles to get over to understand the culture enough to be able to be effective in trying to reach it. So my point here is that weakness is an asset in God's economy. As you think of your neighbors and your coworkers and others, you're probably, you, you may think like I tend to think, it's like, how can I reach them? I'm just not equipped to do this. Um, but yet God called us all into our own mission field uh, whether that's work, whether that's uh, your friend group, whether that's uh, your family. And I want to end with this, um, that uh, in Second Corinthians 12, 9, and you think of Paul, and you think, wow, he was probably the most dynamic, most gifted, most energetic missionary ever. And uh, he struggled. He struggled with weakness. And God told him this. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I'd rather boast about my weakness that the power of Christ might dwell in me. Now, you think of that uh, for a second, that God is really comfortable to use us in our weakness. In fact, he delights in perfecting and showing his power through our weakness. And so I just want to challenge us this morning as I close here to give us some action steps. Now, again, I'm not going to challenge you to go overseas, although some people might be interested in doing that. Um, but our job is to figure out the culture that we are in today and how to love people in that culture and how to bring Christ to that culture. So we trust in God's power to use us, and, and that's why we talked about a lot of grace today, this morning. We all talked also about walking by faith, and I think that's something that we do as we say, God, I can't, but will you help me?
And I want you, I, I just invite you this week to try something small. Um, and that might look like inviting someone that you work with out for coffee and simply asking them a question. Hey, tell me about your story. What, you know, what's interesting about you? And just learn to know who they are. You don't have to share the gospel with them, but God might open up an opportunity for you to do that. Another thing you can do is write out your personal testimony. How did you come to faith? And memorize that. So when someone asks you a spiritual question, you can easily transition into sharing how God moved in your heart so that you came to know the God of the universe, this glorious God. Um, It might look like just introducing yourself to a neighbor you don't know. Maybe someone has moved into your neighborhood. Just go over with some cookies and say hi. So you don't need to do much. So, we serve a glorious God. He designed us for relationship with him, with others. And he um, wants us to be part of his work. And so what a glorious thing that is. So as you, you know, another thing I encourage you to do is when you go home, uh, it's going to be a clear night tonight. Look up at the sky. If you're in a dark place of the city, that's a great place to be because you can look up and just see everything. Watch a video on YouTube of a a hummingbird flying in slow motion. Whatever just kind of gets your spirit alive, just do that. And then take a second and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your glory. Thank you that you created me. It's a beautiful thing. So let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your glory. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that uh, you made us You love us. You put us in community with each other that we can encourage one another to love and good deeds together. And thank you, Lord, that you have given us your mission to serve with you and to have you work in and through us that we might make your glory known wherever you put us, whether that's here in Bloomington or some other place that you send us to, Lord. We thank you for that privilege. In Jesus' name, amen.